Amen. And good morning. It is so great to see you all. So great to be back in lovely Katy, Texas. My name is Greg Anderson, and I'm serving as um, interim minister here for, um, I think you'll be excited when you hear this, probably not too much longer. So uh, a phrase I actually love to hear is, you're fired. Okay, so that's, uh, that's actually kind of one of my goals is to get to that place where uh, a church has an opportunity to move through the interim into something that is uh, a desired outcome for this process, and your elders will have much more to share with you over the next few weeks. But a blessing to be with you this morning and to be able to spend some time in the Word of God together. Amen. Amen. I've been doing a lot of thinking lately about just the worship assembly. And I, I grew up in a time when much of what we do on a Sunday morning was highly transactional in nature. And here's what I mean by that. I go to worship or I'm part of the church so that God doesn't get angry at me and send me to hell. So it was a transaction. Does that make sense? I do this so that I get that or I do this so that I avoid that. As I've gotten older, I've learned um, it's, a, it's a flawed theology. So I now am at a place where I understand that what we do here on Sunday mornings, it's not transactional, it's transformational. And when we assemble as the body of Christ, we're not just a collection of biological beings that are getting together because it seems like it's a neat thing to do. But we are spiritual beings in physical bodies, right? And we're here to be transformed. And one of the ways that we do that is not just experiencing the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus and worshiping our Father God and understanding what it means to be filled with and live in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also do that as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and that your very presence is a blessing to those who are here. And as we leave this place, we take that presence with us, right, into our various circles of influence. And then hopefully when we get back together on the following Sunday, we're able to share with one another, hey, let me tell you, how I saw God at work this week. And that transformational process then just continues week after week after week as we are formed more into the image of Jesus. And so um, if the transactional part, was that some of your realities maybe kind of growing up possibly? So when we get into the text today, I want you to see that God has actually been in the transformation business for a long, long time. And I think you'll see that pretty clearly as we dive into Nehemiah chapter 4. So last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and we posed a question last week. And that question was, what do I do when the walls of my life collapse? And 
most of you probably don't memorize sermons as you hear them, okay? Um, and so I want to revisit a few of the points that we made last Sunday morning. We, we actually talked about that one of the things that is helpful for me when I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm in one of those very, very difficult seasons is just to remember, to remind myself of several truths um, as a, a follower of, of Jesus and um, blood-bought um, son uh, or daughter of God. First, to remind myself that I am consecrated. And remember what that word means, that I am, somebody say it. Okay, it's, it's okay to talk in church, so you can really put it out there. So I am set apart. Yeah, sacred, right. Holy, consecrated means to be used for a very unique purpose. Even in Christ Jesus, I have been renamed. And also, I am restored. Uh, I'm restored through the blood of Jesus, through the power of Christ, through the power of the empty tomb. And I'm never, ever alone. God's Holy Spirit is always with me. The last promise of Jesus was the promise of his presence. I'm with you always to the very, very end of the age. Collectively, we remember that in Christ that we are next to one another, just like the workers on the wall in the book of Nehemiah. We are side by side. We're in this together. Also, that the love uh, of God, it, it cures us. There's a curative aspect of his love as it washes over us, and not just us, but also others. And finally, Jesus Christ, he is the one that we proclaim. So these are the things that as we remind ourselves of this over and over and over, it keeps our mind our minds renewed. And as other voices, competing voices, try to speak into our heads and speak into our hearts, we understand, no, I, I don't receive that. I don't own that as truth because I live into the truth of God. Today, I want to shift this question just ever so slightly. We, we talked really kind of at the personal level last Sunday. I want to broaden it out a little bit more today and process what do we do when the walls of someone else's life collapse. And to answer that question, what I'd like to do this morning is return back to the book of Nehemiah. Got your Bible. Go ahead and turn actually to chapter two. We're going to back up just a little bit and look at a foundational component of what's happening before we get into our text, which is in chapter four. Nehemiah two, I want to start reading at verse 18. I also told the priest and the nobles and those who would be rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so they replied, oh, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? <laughs> they began this good work. The text continues in verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they ask? Are you rebelling against the king? Well, the criticism doesn't stop here. Uh, now that the work is well underway, and by the time we get to chapter 4, these naysayers come back. And that leads us to our text this morning as we start in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. 
And this is what scripture says. Um, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox, climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And then, as so often happens in the book of Nehemiah, prayer breaks in. But I want you to notice something here. It's actually pretty subtle, but it's really powerful. And it's a little shift that takes place that's a little bit difficult to see unless we're really paying careful attention. Up to this point, we have read time and time and time again, Nehemiah prays. But I want you to notice, what are the first two pronouns in verse 4? Do you see them? What are they? Us and we, right? So this is a subtle shift, but it's a very powerful shift because a man of prayer has led God's people to prayer. So at any point... When you think, I'm not so sure that my prayers matter all that much, I want you to rethink that, okay? I want you to rethink that because the prayers of the individual can actually open the door for the prayers of the entire community of faith. So we continue, Nehemiah 4 and verse 4, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Now, this is called an imprecatory prayer, <laughs> okay? It's actually praying, Lord, do your thing on those people, okay? Uh, and, and not necessarily uh, in a good way. It's almost, it's almost like they're, they're against your will, so you deal with them justly, God. Deal with them justly. The text continues, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And so, we rebuilt the wall. Till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But, are you noticing a pattern here? But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the prayers of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. 
So this back and forth continues for the remainder of the chapter. It's quite fascinating. The more threats that the people endure, the more Nehemiah prays. And the more he prays, the more threats the people endure. The more the people work, the more insults and threats they endure. The more insults and threats they endure, the more they work. Are you with me so far? Are you seeing a pattern here that's over and over and over again? But it's not just about the wall. And I think that may be one of the most important realizations in this text. It's not just about the wall. It's about something far greater. It's actually about fulfilling the very purposes of God. That's why they're doing this work. So Senballat and his entourage begin a propaganda campaign. And it doesn't make any difference if what they are saying is truth or if what they're saying is lies. It doesn't really matter. It contains the truth or not. It just matters if the Jews stop listening to God and start listening to the enemies of God. Do you see the difference? Pretty profound difference. I think there probably are some great lessons for us to learn there. The threats go like this. Your work is so poor that if a fox trotted up and just placed a paw on the wall, the whole thing would crumble down. Um, The tactics used against the builders weren't changed. Truth no longer matters. If you think about it, in our culture, same tactics Satan used then. It's the exact same tactics that he's using now. Truth doesn't really matter. Absolutes such as Jesus is the only way to eternal life have kind of gone out of style in the hearts and minds of many. You see this, right, in some of your own conversations and some of your own context. But people who have been consecrated, people who've been set apart as sacred to God through the blood of Jesus are not just a people who follow one version of the truth. We are a people of the truth. And that's a truth that's only found in Jesus Christ. If we believe otherwise, I think it's because we have allowed our hearts to do the very same thing um, that the Jews on the wall, some of them at least, allowed to happen in their hearts. Because I want you to notice what happens when we begin to listen to the voice of those who are opposed to God's will and not just listen to them, but begin to allow them to creep into the way that we think and change our view of this world that we live in. In verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble. There's no way we're going to rebuild this wall. And our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right among them and we will kill and put an end to the work. And so then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they are going to attack us. So do you see how discouragement 
begins to creep into the minds here of the Jewish people? Do you see the cause and effect? Do you see how the criticisms and the threats, do you see how they begin to wear, wear them down? Do you see how quickly a few obstacles can lead to the sky is falling? Are you with me so far? May we always remember that we are a people who have been consecrated. We have been set apart as sacred to God through the blood of Jesus. We are not a people who fall for threats. Amen? We don't fall for those. We're not a people who fall for lies. And we also do not measure success by worldly definitions. And we don't measure success by worldly standards. Nehemiah certainly didn't. In response to the lies and in response to the threats from the outside and in response to the withering of spirit to those on the inside, he lives even more fervently into his mission. In verse 13, we read, therefore I, and this is Nehemiah, stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, and boy, do I want you to see this, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard, now look who's doing the listening. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And then I think this is just one of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. I love this phrase in verse 16, from that day on. From that day on, what? What happens? Well, I want you to see how this plays out. From that day on, as things move forward, half of the people worked and half watched to make sure that the work could be done unhindered. The suppliers carried materials with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. The builders kept a sword by their sides and the rallying trumpet was always ready to sound. And when it sounded, they weren't saying, we've got this. 
It's not what this is about. It was never, look what we can do. Look how much power we have. Look what we are going to be able to accomplish through our willpower or through our work ethic or whatever it might be. This instead is who they put their trust in. In verse 20, we read, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So there's several things that are happening here. If we can kind of back up a little bit and begin to break this down, we see several things that are going on. Nehemiah and the people, in essence, they make a plan and they work the plan. We see this here in the text. They make a plan and they work the plan. Their plan is actually bathed in prayer. The plan is filled with faith. The plan is adaptable. The plan withstands opposition. So if I could sum all of that up, I would say it like this. The people of God who trust in God make a plan and they work the plan. They make a plan and work the plan. It's not rocket science. <laughs> okay. It's really not all that complicated. Uh, there's a lot of energy and a lot of effort that goes into it. But, but we kind of get this planning thing, right? I mean, don't we, don't we basically understand the power and the purpose of planning? I mean, can you imagine building a house, for example, without plans? So you go to the bank and you ask for a loan and um, they say, well, could we see your house plans, please? And um, you say, yeah, we're just kind of going to wing it. Okay, are you going to get the loan? Well, probably not. You got to make a plan and then you got to work that plan. Would you consider starting a business without a business plan? Probably not going to be in business very long, right? Can you imagine uh, Houston Texans football without coaching? Can you imagine? Okay, be nice. Okay, be nice. Be nice. <laughs> Seriously, how successful would any team be um, if before the game the coach said, well, uh, I was kind of looking out there during warm-ups, and they're, they're a lot bigger than we are. So I just say run as fast as you can and hope for the best. I mean, it, well, you, can you imagine? Of course not. I mean, that's just silly, right? It's just silly. We make plans, and we work plans. Want more money? Make a budget. And then live into the budget, right? Again, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. Making a budget is just another way to say Make a plan. But making a plan is only half the battle. It's just half the battle. It may not even be that much. You know, the plan is basically just a means to an end, right? Uh, it's only, as, uh, it's only as, as good as our desire to work it. So I think that's pretty important to remember. Someone may say, well, but you know, if we plan, that kind of takes away the leading of the Spirit. Well, then I would say invite the Holy Spirit to the planning party. Okay, that's what I would say. Because making the plan and working the plan is, is evidenced that that's going to be putting us in a place to be good stewards of that which God has entrusted us. If there is no plan, when we just live into whatever feels right, just going to live into what seems to be the best for me to do, then there is a much greater likelihood of chaos in our lives. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of ways, not just in our culture, but in cultures around the world. 
I know that I've certainly experienced some chaos in my own life when I decided, God, I think I can do this stretch without you. Very chaotic time. I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine um, named, named Josh. Josh um, and I met on a Sunday morning about four years ago. Uh, it's the A&M church. I wasn't preaching that morning. And so my wife and I got to hang out up in the balcony, which we rarely ever, rarely ever uh, sat up there because when you preach, you kind of need to be sort of close to the pulpit, right? You know, but you kind of got to be close so you can at least get it, get in there. Um, at the A&M church, they don't assign communion servers ahead of time. It's basically whoever shows up, you know, gets asked, okay, to help. That was back pre-COVID when we actually passed plates and all that stuff. So I was up in the balcony. I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'm happy to help. So I, I helped serve the bread and helped serve the cup. And um, after the offering, uh, I, I saw this guy as we were passing by. I'd never seen him before. He was really nicely dressed and um, kind of sitting by himself. And so I just went up and I just tapped him on the shoulder. Scared him to death. I'm, I'm not making this up. I think he literally jumped about a foot out of his, out of his uh, pew. But I, I, I tapped him on the shoulder and we visited for just a little bit afterward. And I said, hey, we haven't made a connection. Would it be possible for us maybe to get together for lunch one day this week? And he accepted my invitation. And so we met and um, grabbed, uh, grabbed some lunch. Um, and here's what I discovered. I discovered that he was a believer, but he was a long way from being a disciple. And you know there's a difference, right? There's a difference in being a believer of Je in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. Those are two different things. Um, he had struggled a lot. Um, very difficult home life. Um, really wrestled with uh, drug use uh, in, his, in his 20s. He'd actually been homeless. At one point in his life, he was living on the streets of Los Angeles. And I can't even imagine. I have no reference point for that. But I'm quite positive it, it couldn't have been uh, couldn't have been easy he grew up in a broken home never really had a father figure he married he fathered a child he divorced uh, before he got out of his 20s and the list just goes on and on and on so by the time he got to our church by the time he was in that worship assembly that Sunday morning, he was physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, totally exhausted. Um, it was a really good facade on the outside. You know it's real easy to look churchy on Sunday mornings, right? You know that? When we're in church together, we can dress up and clean up and put on a pretty good exterior. But on the inside, he's dying. It's just very slow, but a very sure death. He uh, knew almost nothing about the Bible. He certainly didn't know anything about being a disciple of Jesus. But here's what he did know. This is what he knew. He knew that the future he wanted was different than the past that he had experienced and the present that he was living. 
That's, that's, that's about all he knew. I don't want the rest of my life to look like what my life has been to up to this point. Now, I'll continue with the story here in just a second. But I want to tell you something. Our culture right now is absolutely, positively filled with people who are in the exact same boat. They want something different for their future than what they've experienced in their past. And if we are serious, truly serious about being disciples of Jesus Christ, the church has something to offer that can help them make a plan, work the plan, to get to that different place. And it's not just a mental exercise. It's not just a heart exercise. It is a holistic exercise. Engaging our head as we learn the word of God. Engaging our heart, engaging our heart as we embrace the word of God. Opening up the spiritual side of ourselves to understand what it means to walk with Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we receive that gift as those who have given our lives to him. And even physically, the changes that we begin to experience as we live into our faith. My friend Josh was ready to begin allowing God to rebuild the broken foundations of his life. And, and here's the deal. There is no possible way he could have done that alone. Uh, we met often uh, during subsequent weeks, which ended up turning into a couple of months. And in November of 2019, he fully surrendered his life to Jesus and was baptized. Sometimes he had a great week. Uh, sometimes he had a rotten week. Sometimes um, he made great decisions. And sometimes he didn't. Um, he made some of our laugh, uh, church members laugh. Quite frankly, he made some of our church members uncomfortable. Um, but I kept praying for him and with him. And we would text back and forth. And we would check in on one another. We studied together. We laughed together. We cried together prayed together, slowly but surely, a disciple of Jesus began to emerge. For a while, he led one of our small groups. He managed a men's clothing shop in town, and so I stop in still about once a week. We visit for a little bit. Um, sometimes we talk about life. Sometimes we talk about business. Sometimes we pray together. And he's not perfect. But let me ask you a question. Who among us is? In essence, in my relationship with him, I had to become, and I'm going to use a phrase here, and if you've got a pen, I want you to write this down, or a pencil, I want you to write this down, or if you have your phone with you, I want you to type this out on a note. I had to become... A beehive, a beehive, but not in the sense that we would understand beehives. I'm spelling that B-E dash hive, okay? Not B-E-E, -E, but B-E. I had to become a beehive, and here's what I mean by that. I had to be prayerful. I had to be patient. 
I had to be prepared for hard mistakes. I had to be ready for hard questions. Um, I had to be ready for the unexpected. I had to be flexible in exercising my faith, when to push, when to pull, while being resolute in my faith and not compromising my own values. I had to be open about my own sin, and I also had to be open to what God was teaching me. Just a quick story. When he began his new job, I wanted to be his first customer. And so as I told you, he managed a high-end men's store. Um, high-end shopping for me is like eBay, okay? I mean, that's uh, like my designer is uh, Sam, you know, from Sam's Club. That's kind of my, you know, it's kind of my clothing designer. So um, I just, oh, I want to be your first customer. What would be something good for me to buy? Hey, what about a pair of pants? Okay, let's just, I'll get a pair of pants. That'd be great. Well, in high-end stores, a lot of stuff's not priced, you know, because if you got that kind of money, you just go in and buy it and you don't really worry about it. Well, I don't have that kind of money. So I took these pants up to the counter and he told me what the price was and I was like, really? <laughs> Seriously? Wow. How about a pair of socks? Okay, so, you know, it's kind of one of those deals. So uh, God kind of surprises us sometimes with the unexpected when we are, um, you know, when we're, when we're living, into, uh, living into these new relationships and kind of understanding where our boundaries are. But here's my question to, to all of us this morning. As believers, are we going to spend hours and hours and hours of time and energy and worry and hand-wringing, are we going to spend our lives worrying about how our world is falling apart? Or are we going to try to get into the lives of people whose worlds are falling apart? You see the difference? In church, it is messy and it is hard and sometimes it is frustrating. But in the culture that we're living in right now, that's what it's going to take. If we are going to bring people into, not by our merit or works or, or willpower or anything like that, but just by agreeing to be in partnership with Jesus, that's what it's going to take to lead people into a life-giving relationship with him. I love, as the story continues in Nehemiah, in verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your, your home. And so we look at this text and we may ask ourselves, what is the point of this lesson today, Greg? Well, here's the point. It's, it's, it's you. You're the point of today's lesson. May we, as a church, not be afraid of anything. May we not be afraid of, of anyone. May we be a church, a body of faith who fights for our families, who fights for our sons and daughters and for our homes, and yes, even for those who do not yet know Jesus 
And I want you to hear me. There is a big difference in fighting with someone and fighting for someone. Do you understand? I'm not saying pick fights. (laughs) I'm just saying fight for. And in the body of Christ, one of the best ways to do that is to keep this little rule of thumb in mind. In the body of Christ, we talk to each other, not about each other. We talk to each other, not about each other. Our schedule is a bit out of the ordinary for the next few weeks. Um, I think next Sunday is Senior Sunday, and then I'll be back with you for Mother's Day. Um, But um, when I am here, we're going to review some steps in this process as we talk about working a plan to show you some specific ways that you individually and collectively can engage others in meaningful ways that ultimately can lead to profound life change. And so between now and then, uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. Pray fervently that God will lead you into one simple conversation. Don't, don't, don't pray, Lord, help me change the world this week. <laughs> just, just pray, God, please lead me to one person. Lead me to one person. Lead me to one conversation with someone that in their life the walls have just collapsed or, or, or at a minimum they're showing some signs of wear and tear, right? This week, when God answers that prayer, and I believe with all of my heart, if you pray it, I believe that God will answer it. And when he does answer that prayer this week, here's what I want to ask you to do. Listen more than you talk. Just listen. God can do great things with simple conversations, particularly in conversations where you listen more than you talk. So, this week, when God leads you to this conversation, have one. Your story may never be told from this stage, but it will forever be trumpeted in heaven. And that, I think, is a story worth telling. Amen. We're going to share a song together uh, this morning, and uh, want as our praise team assembles here and gets ready to lead us in that in that song to the Lord, to let you know that there are people in this auditorium this morning who get it. They understand what it means to have the walls of your life collapsed, and uh, no one's going to throw rocks at you if you're in a really bad place. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that we exist as a church, right? to help people rebuild that which Satan has masterfully torn down. So as we sing this song together, if you would uh, like, you can turn to someone next to you and say, hey, would you pray with me? Or, hey, I have a question about baptism and would like to know more about that. Or, or hey, it would be great if I could be in a Bible study with someone. And just, just mention that to the person that you're sitting next to or standing next to here in just a moment, and they'll make sure to connect you with some folks who can help you. So let's, let's stand together as a congregation. Let's be singing together.